stand, I stand in awe of you. I don't think I told you what I was preaching on tonight, did I? God knew. That is the perfect, perfect song to introduce tonight's lesson. I stand in awe of you. Last Sunday morning, we discussed the power of Jesus' name. We discussed it from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. The power of Jesus' name. This morning, we discussed how our God is able. Period. Our God is able. And tonight I want to look at a theme that is very closely related to the power of Jesus' name, to the fact that our God is able, and I want to examine this, and this serves as our title, The Power of the Words of God, as presented by the Apostle Peter. The power of just the words of God. We know words are powerful, but <laughs> just making that statement and then talking about God, we have no comprehension. The first thing, obviously we're going to be mostly in uh, Peter's two epistles tonight as we talk about the power of the words of God as presented by the Apostle Peter. So I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would. The power of just God's words, not, not the word of God per se, the written word of God, but God's just speaking and the power that contains. First thing I would like for us to notice is how the Apostle Peter started out both of his epistles by talking about the infinite and all-encompassing power of God. Remember those old, maybe, I know I'm dating myself here, but remember, those of you that are my age, remember way back the whole Batman when they'd hit people and go kapow and, you know, anybody remember that? Come on, don't make me feel alone. Anybody remember that besides me? Okay, thank you. Kapow. And that's, and that's kind of like I want to say when I say the power of God is a pow, you know, the power of God. And there's a reason for that. And I'll explain it as we talk about this. First Peter, notice how Peter begins talking about the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, watch this, who are kept by the power of God. Oh, I had to do that. You know what that word power comes from in the Greek? This is so cool. I learned this many years ago and I've loved it ever since. The Greek word for power is translated here is D-Y-N-A-M-I-S, dynamis. The word from which we get dynamic, dynamo, and dynamite. The dynamite of God. This could literally be translated the dynamo, the dynamite of God. That word, dynamic, dyna dynami, from which we get dynamite, is a word that the Apostle Peter used five times. Peter used it five times in his two short epistles including his introduction to his second epistle as well. Look at his second epistle. He brings it up again. Peter is just consumed with the power of God. Second Peter chapter 1, here we go again. Verse 2 and following. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There's that word again, verse three, his divine power, the dynamite of God. But Peter doesn't stop there. Look in verse 16 of this same chapter. He says, for we did not follow cleverly or, or cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the power of God, the dynamite of God. I want for us to understand this word dynami that he uses is not just unique to Peter, although we're going to talk a lot about the word of God in Peter tonight, but this word actually occurs in, in different places 120 times in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews also uses it. In Hebrews 7:16, the English Standard Version says of Christ, he has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, by the dynamite of an indestructible life. So having established that, let me ask you this. If you think about God and you think about his power, his power is infinite. Now, when we start talking about the dynamite of an infinitely powerful God, we are talking beyond our comprehension. And what I want us to understand tonight is that God has that power in just his word, in just speaking. And, and we're gonna see that again and again and again. What an awesome God we serve. What I'd like to do is I'd like to begin at the end of the second epistle and kind of work our way backwards talking about this. So turn with me, if you would, to the end of the second epistle of Peter, chapter three. I want us to begin in verse one and look for this idea of the power, the dynamite of the word of God, the words of God. Peter writes, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, Peter says, look, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember the words of the apostles, the words of the prophets before. This is a continuing story. The prophets, the apostles. And what I want you to remember is, he said, look, in the last days, there's gonna be people coming and say, look, everything's the same as it's always been. The world's still turning, sun's still in the sky. God isn't real, God doesn't exist. These are gonna be scoffers. They're gonna say, where's the promise of his coming? You know, you, you can't count on this God. He said he was coming and, and he hasn't yet and everything's just like it's always been, so God doesn't exist. Peter says, got a news flash for you. Verse five, for this they willfully forget. Notice they willfully forget this. They choose to forget this, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. He said, it's simply what they choose to forget is that by God's word alone, the heavens were created. 
The earth was created. All God did was speak it into existence. They willfully forget that and, verse 6, that same word of God by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. God spoke the world into existence. That's Peter's point. And he says that same God who has that same power in his word is the reason that the earth was flooded in the days of Noah's Ark because guess what? God spoke it into being and the wells sprung up and the rain came down. He said they forget that the earth was preserved by God's word and the earth was flooded by the mere word of God. And he says in verse 7, taking it a step further, the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, God is still holding everything together. Do you, get, do you see that? God spoke, it happened. God spoke, it flooded. God keeps by his same word the world turning today and the universe doing what it does and the earth staying just so many, so, so far from the sun that it doesn't burn up and yet not so far that it freezes. Everything is held in check by God, by his word, not just because God's working at it. You ever work really hard at something? You're trying to move a, move a rock or lift something or a big piece of furniture and, and God's not working hard at this. God's not putting his back into it. Everything is being preserved by the word of God, by God simply holding it together, like you and I would say a sentence. But guess what? The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the same word that created it, the same word that flooded it, is the same word that's holding it together, they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. You know, the author of Psalm 33 stood in similar awe at the infinite power of just the words from God's lips and what power those words held when they were uttered. Listen to this. Psalm 33, 6 through 11. We're coming right back here to Peter. If you want to turn there, that's fine, but keep your finger here. I just want to, I just want to show you how the psalmist agrees totally with Peter. And of course he would because they're both speaking from the same author because God is the author of all of scripture. It's all scripture is inspired by God. Psalm 33, 6 through 11. Look what it says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God didn't have to spend two years crafting, creating, putting it all together. God said the word. That's the power of the words of our God. That's what the psalmist says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God spoke them into existence. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Listen, God has the power to speak worlds into existence. That makes him a God to be feared. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. I stand, I stand in awe of you. For he spoke and it was done. Could it be any simpler? Could the psalmist make it any simpler? What he said, he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. 
The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I am so grateful tonight to be a Christian. I want you tonight to understand that this isn't just some building that we come to twice on Sunday because it's our duty to do so. This isn't just some place we come so that we can see the smiling faces of our brethren. This isn't just somewhere we come because it's what we've always done. We come here to worship that God with that power who chose in his power and in his love to give his son for you and me. That's why we're here. He didn't have to do that kind of power to speak universes into existence. He doesn't have to put up with you and me. Is that right? God doesn't have to put up. We, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to put up with us. Instead, he gave his son for us. He took on human flesh and he came to this earth and he put up with everything that Jesus put up with, the scourging, the beating, the mocking, everything that he put up with. And he went to that cross when he could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have called for his father's help and said, that's it. Now a God who can speak worlds into existence, if he had called for 12 legions of angels, we'd all gotten nuked. But he didn't. Why? Because he knew you needed a savior and he wants you with him in heaven for all eternity more than anything else on this earth. What an awesome God. Mm. But Peter also knew, as we talk about 2 Peter 3 and verse 7, Peter also knew that the same infinite power of that same invincible God and his same infinitely invincible word, which is right now, tonight, March the 7th, 2021, still holding all things together, according to what we just read, that same word is also what gives us absolute assurance that there will come a day when it's all destroyed because God is going to say that word and it's all going to be destroyed, verses 8 through 10. How do we know that? Because we know he spoke it into existence, he spoke and it flooded, he speaks and it's held in place, and by that very same word, the very same power of that word, it's all going to come apart, it's all going to be undone. By that same almighty, eternal, invincible God, verses 8 through 10, you can read it yourself. And, and what I want us to realize as we're talking about this tonight, I want us to remember who it is that wrote this. Now, I realize he wrote by divine inspiration. I get that, okay? But remember who it is that wrote this. Peter wrote this. What on earth did Peter know about the power of Jesus? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what Peter knew about the power. This isn't a man that, that heard some secondhand story about the power of God and said, hey, that sounds pretty cool. I'll write that down. I said, that's not the way this works. Peter was a man who had walked with Jesus a little over three years. He walked with him. He didn't just spend two hours with him on Sunday. He walked with him. He ate the same meals he ate. He saw what he saw. He traveled with him. Probably he spent more time with Jesus than a lot of us who work today get to spend with our spouses. And he was with him. And he had seen proven in too many seemingly impossible, just impossible situations, how the power of the word of God could do things. Situations and circumstances, circumstances that, that it was just not possible to do anything with, and, and yet by a simple word of Jesus, the impossible happened. He knew the power of the word of Jesus. Recall the apostle Peter. Think about this. <laughs> he is in a sinking boat on a storm-tossed sea. 
and he is in fear for his life. Now, he was a native fisherman. He knew the area. He knew these storms. And he's in fear for his life. And Jesus says, peace be still. And the scripture says, and immediately. I mean, we're taking, like, from deadliest catch type seas to this floor flat like that. Peter had seen that. He'd seen the power of just Jesus saying three words, peace be still. I don't even know if he pointed. Peace be still. Boom. Would that impress you? That scares me. Think what else he saw. He saw the raw and unparalleled power of but a mere spoken word from Jesus heal a paralyzed centurion's servant. Not just heal him. Wouldn't it be great to go into some of these hospitals today and be actually able to just heal with a word? Just say, hey, you're healed. Wouldn't that be great? Cancer, all that stuff, right? He had seen a centurion's servant heal over long distance. It wasn't that he'd come up and laid, it was over distance. Just the spoken word of Jesus. He saw a little girl, Peter saw a little girl who was dead at the mere word of Jesus, arise and be fine. Peter saw a widow's son in Nain in Luke chapter seven at a spoken word from Jesus, he's dead. It's a funeral procession. Tell you what, I ever go to a funeral and somebody walks up to casket if somebody's been dead for two or three days and says get up and the person does I'm gonna they're gonna have my full attention I'm just saying Jesus did that and Peter saw it just like you and me Peter was a real person and he saw that happen he saw it not only with the little girl Talitha Kum which which means little girl arise not only with the widow of Nain's son their best friend Lazarus had been dead for four days and Jesus didn't rush out there and, you know, stare at him and, and work his body. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. What happened? Lazarus came forth, four days dead. Is that power? That's power. That is scary power. I don't want that God against me. I ain't messing with that. He had seen demons flee, Peter had, and be destroyed with just a word from Jesus. And why not? Jesus was God in the flesh, whose word is all-powerful, unbreakable, invincible, and without equal. And here's the thing. Peter, the same Peter that's writing about the dynamite of God, the power of God, it's that same Peter who heard Jesus declare on the way up to Jerusalem more than once, we're going up to Jerusalem and there the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be handed over to men. And they're going to crucify him and spit on him. And they're going to kill him. And he's going to rise the third day. Now, out of everything Jesus did, I mean, he was a miracle worker with the widow of Nain's son and all this, and he could raise others. But you've got to admit, it's a lot more impressive when you're dead yourself to get up. Right? And he heard, he heard the words of Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to do that. Peter on Sunday morning went to an empty tomb, didn't he? That's power. That's power. Peter knew firsthand, get this, if you don't take anything else home from this sermon tonight, get this. Peter knew firsthand the absolute, heaven-sent, hell-binding, and time-defying power of just the spoken word of Jesus Christ.
He knew that there was nothing else like it. He knew there was nothing else on earth that could compare to it or thwart it. He knew that whatever Jesus said, that's going to be the way it is. Period. There's no messing with that. Peter had seen that and known it and shown it and admitted it since as early on as Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. As early as that, Peter had recognized this power. And he understood that, that the words of Jesus were spirit and they were life. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. He understood that the words of Jesus were spirit and life and that, that such spirit and life would be found nowhere else other than by seeking and following Jesus. Listen, I don't care how powerful somebody's word is, they cannot do what Jesus Christ did. They're not worth following. They're not worth giving yourself to, but Jesus is. Peter would surely have agreed with the words of King David in Psalm 19 when he said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. They're sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 19, verse 1 and verses 7 through 11. David knew. David knew nearly 3,000 years ago. God created it all by a spoken word, therefore his word is what we should listen to. Peter, 2,000 years ago, understood it. Peter knew the infinite and incomparable power of just the spoken word of God. And Peter knew that the power of that word from Jesus extended beyond the grave beyond your last, beyond when your earthly life stops, as all of us will have happened to us at some point. He knew that God's word possessed the power for any person who believed them enough to obey them. And he preached that in Acts chapter 2, and he echoes that in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 25. Peter knew, as we begin to work our way backwards through 2 Peter, Peter knew that there was no other plan there was no other process. There was no other phraseology or, or anything in the mind of man that could compare to the power of the word of God. And so he said, don't listen to anything else other than the words of Jesus. And he tells us that as we back up in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Look what he says. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The words of Jesus will be lied about. They'll be blasphemed. 
By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. He said, look, there's going to be people that are going to come in with a different plan, a different process, a, a different way to do things. And he said, don't, don't listen to those. Those don't have the power to save you the way the word of Jesus does. God confirmed his Old Testament word and promises to the people when he sent Jesus. We learned this in 2 Peter chapter 1, back up there to verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power, the dynamite, the power, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. Peter said, I was there. Mount of Transfiguration, we call it. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Peter said, I heard God speak. And he said, that's my son, right there. Listen to him. And what Peter's making the point here is, look, we saw this. We know the power of God. And so, verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed, and that's even more powerful in a way. All of those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, nobody could fulfill all of those to the letter, but Jesus did. Did you ever have to work with a group of people and work around everybody's desires and will and wants? Did you ever, if you've ever been in any kind of leadership position, you've got to work around it, what everybody wants and thinks, and, and, and you have a board meeting or whatever, and you've got 15 people there, and you've got 15 different opinions the way things ought to be. It's hard, right, to kind of get everything to work the way you want it to? God has had to work with the free will of human beings since... Adam and Eve in the garden. He's had to work with their free will. And yet through all of that Old Testament history, through all of that free will, through all of people making the choices that they have made, somehow through, through millions of people all doing their own thing and, and doing what they want to, guess what God did? God still brought about his prophetic plan to the letter. You want to talk about power? Take that one on. Sometimes it's hard to work with a group of three. But he says, we have this prophetic word made more sure. God showed his power because he fulfilled all of those prophecies. And he says, so you better listen. That's what he says in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. Peter's saying, you better listen to this. As the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this First, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. No Scripture came from some man's private interpretation. We're, we're all very familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed or, or, God, or inspired by God. We understand that. Peter's kind of putting it here in, in a little bit different framework, but it's the same message. He said, we need to know that no prophecy of scripture, nothing in this book ever came about from the mind of men, none of it. But he says, holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that word moved, they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the New King James Version, some versions say driven along. You know what the idea is? It's the same phraseology that's used of the ship in the shipwreck earlier in the book of Acts. 
how the ship was driven along before the wind. Did they have any control over that ship that Paul was shipwrecked on? No control, it was driven along by the wind. Same word here in the Greek. Men were driven along by the Holy Spirit like a leaf in the wind. They didn't know what they were gonna say. God gave them the words. And so that's why the power of this word is, is so powerful. It didn't come from man. People say, well, men wrote that. Yeah, men wrote it as they were driven along by the Holy Spirit of God. And so this word has power. By knowing the all-powerful, accurate, dependable, and sure to come true word of God, we can escape the snares and the traps and the deceptions and the delusions of, of powerless man-made doctrines and plans that can't save us religiously. That's his message in chapter two, verses one through three that we read. By knowing the word of God, by knowing the, the scriptures, the, by knowing the prophetic word, the word of God, verse 19 of chapter one, not only can we escape the false prophets and the false teaching in chapter two, but we can escape the atheists and the agnostics and those people who, who deny that God is real or that he's coming back, and that's what chapter three is about. So one chapter leads right into the next and it's all about the power of the word of God. It beats them all. And that brings us to the unchanging power of the words of God when it comes to salvation. When it comes to salvation, there is no other plan or purpose or power other than what's in this book. That's it. That's, that's it. We throw this away, we have no salvation because the only plan of God is right here. This is it. Nothing else compares. And Peter preached that message on the day of Pentecost, didn't he? Didn't Peter tell us what we need to do to be saved? He sure did. He told us that we needed to repent and be baptized. When Peter went to the house of Cornelius, what did he preach? Who can deny water or who can forbid water that these men may be baptized? who have received the Spirit just as we did in the beginning. And Peter not only taught the first gospel sermon in Acts 2 and told people that they needed to be baptized in order to be saved because that's what the Word of God says and that's got all power, nothing else compares. Not only did he tell the crew at Cornelius that, but he actually put it in these epistles too. Turn to me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll back up even further. He put it in here. He put that plan because that word is all powerful. That plan is all powerful. So he put it right here in his epistles to these people. He says in verse 18 of 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by, also, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, this can get confusing unless you understand the tenses. The New American Standard Version does the best job of this because it says, by whom he went and preached to the spirits now in prison who formerly were disobedient. And that makes all the difference in the world when you understand the tenses. Jesus in the spiritual form went and preached to those spirits that are now in prison who formerly disobeyed in the days of Noah. They're now in prison because they did not listen to the preaching of Jesus in the day of Noah because Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We know that, Peter tells us that in his epistles too. As Noah preached Jesus, the spirit of Jesus was in Noah. 
And Jesus in the spiritual form, 1 Peter chapter 3, went and preached those spirits who are now in prison because they didn't listen then in the days of Noah. They wouldn't get in the boat. They wouldn't do what God said. So now they're in prison. And he goes on to apply that to us when he says this. They were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. But they wouldn't listen, so now they're in punishment because they were disobedient. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same thing's true today. If we don't listen to the power of the word of God as it's being proclaimed, if we don't listen to the one, the one way to salvation that that book, that power of God's word, the creator's word right there says, if we're disobedient to that and we don't listen to it, guess what's gonna happen to us? Same thing happened to them. They're now in prison because they were disobedient when the word was being preached. They wouldn't get in the boat. Those who disobey today and will not be baptized and get into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins are going to be in punishment too, and that's his point. He brings that up. Brethren, time does not change the power, the plan, or the truth of God. Does it? Is the truth of God still true today as the day it was wet on the, on the page? Is it? The day, that, the day that, that Luke transcribed the book of Acts and started out and began putting that, when he got done with Acts chapter 2 and, and it was still kind of wet there, whatever he was using to write that on, is the word of God just as true today as it was then? Absolutely. It doesn't change. The plan hasn't changed. The process hasn't changed. The power hasn't diminished. It's the same thing. Peter understood because of the power of God's word that it was always going to come to pass just like Jesus said no matter what. No matter how much time went by between those promises and their eventual fulfillment, no matter how unlikely it seemed at the time, no matter how much men may have sought to twist or pervert it or bend it or, or edit it or whatever, God's word is going to win. Man cannot destroy it. Still amazes me. Still amazes me. When I think about how people, well-intentioned people, people that, when they just, they say they believe the Bible and, and, and in their hearts and minds they do and, and, and yet they believe they're saved by a process other than the one outlined in the scriptures. And I, and I stand here and say it's hard to understand, but I was once one of those people, for those of you that didn't know. I was one of those people who said that prayer that's not in the scriptures anywhere. But that's not the plan, that's not the power, that's not the process in the Bible anywhere, it's not. Once knew of a person who had a close, close family member and this close, close family member used to come to church with him all the time, Lord's Church, years and years and years and years. That, other, that, that person just would not be baptized. They would not obey the gospel. They just wouldn't. They heard sermon after sermon. They went to lectureships year after year, and they just wouldn't be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And it was said by the member of the church that brought him after a while at one point, well, you know, they're a good person. Maybe God will be merciful. Brethren,
they didn't understand. It's not that maybe God will be merciful. God's already been merciful. When he nailed his son or had his son nailed to that cross, that's mercy. God's already been merciful. How much more merciful can you get? He already been merciful. And he still is. God is still merciful. 2 Peter 3, 9. It's God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Is that mercy? God wants everybody to be saved. He's done everything for us. He's given us his son. He's given us his word. It's not maybe God will be merciful. God is merciful. God is the very epitome of love and grace and mercy itself. The question is not, will God be merciful? The question is, will you humble yourself and accept his mercy on his terms? That's the question. Most of you in this room have. But that's a question we need to ask people. It's not, maybe God will be merciful. I used to see a sign driving out of one of the towns that I preached for, and it says, remember, God loves you. Okay. That's not the question. The question is, do you love God enough to accept his love on his terms? That's the question. There's no question that God loves us all. We're still here, right? We're still breathing. We're still, God's holding it all together. God's love is beyond question. It's our love that's in question. Do we love God enough to accept his love on his terms? Do we love him enough to say, yes, I will humble myself and submit to you? Do we love him enough that we will accept his mercy? That is the question. Because his word is true. The fulfillment of it is certain. If one refuses his mercy by refusing to accept it in the waters of Christian baptism for the forgiveness of sins, as his word says, that's not because God ain't merciful. It's because they don't accept God's mercy. And I say that with all the love in my heart. The word of the living and merciful God, right now, tonight, has given anyone and everyone who has not yet done so one more night one more chance, one more opportunity to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. God could have ended this this afternoon, but God's will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's given you another chance tonight in his great mercy. If you've never accepted his mercy by being baptized and letting his, blood, letting his son's blood cleanse your sins, why not? If you don't think that's the way it works, let's have a Bible study, right, church? And if you understand that's how it works, what are you waiting for? You need to come right now and experience the infinite power of the word of God. He said that if you would repent and be baptized, your baptism would save you. Yes, you have to live faithfully after that, but he will wash away every sin you have ever committed. That is, the, that is what his word says, and we've discussed the power of his word all night. We've discussed the power of his word till I'm standing up here sweating. If you've not obeyed that word, God wants to save your soul. He can't give any more. He can't do any more. He can't explain it any better. He can't make you a better offer. It's all there. It's not it's all there on the table. It's all there on the cross. Would you accept his mercy tonight by being baptized, or would you need the prayers of the church to understand better this God who is all merciful and the power of his word? If you have a need, please come to the front right now. Don't delay while we stand and while we sing.